Hello, I'm Tom Melville. Welcome to Voice of Real Australia. Each episode we bring you people, places and perspectives from beyond the big cities. Now, you might have heard of the Barossa Valley, the Hunter Valley or the Yarra Valley. These are regions praised for their boutique produce and immersive agricultural tourism. But have you ever been to the Madura Valley? It runs up Canberra's eastern fringe, a pocket of primary producers only a short drive from Parliament House and an international airport. And the farmers are eager to share it. After all, it boasts a truffle farm, a winery and other artisan delights. But the ACT's leasehold system means that many farmers in the bush capital have shaky tenure on the land, which the government can take back with just a few months' notice. That makes it tough to get a loan and invest in their properties, which would help draw in the crowds. Before Canberra was Canberra, it was a farm. But there's a fear that the city's agrarian chapter might be drawing to a close. To find out about its agricultural past, where it is today and where it could wind up, I went out to the city's farms and spoke with the people who live there. You can hear the frogs. It's obviously a healthy paddock you've got yeah, here. Yeah, mate, unreal. You know, at night time, when you walk across to the house, you can just stand there and you hear, like, 20 different species of frogs, right? Are, so, you, are you good on the frogs? Can you pick Paul Keir is a typical Australian farming man. Dark tan, firm handshake, lively wit, and an obvious love for the land. He showed me around the old heritage buildings on his property, Springfield, towards the middle of the valley, a couple of k's away from the airport. Yeah, come into the shearing shed and we'll have a look. We're in the old shearing shed, which hasn't been used for shearing in years, but now serves as an informal bar and meeting hall. He's showing me some photographs from the area's past. How long ago is this photo? That's taken in 1900, and this building is from 1850 to 1875, and that become the Majura Post Office. And that horizontal slab hut, settler's cottage, as I call it, is still there. And who are the people we're looking at? The shed walls are covered with dozens of photos of his past as a horse breeder and highlights from his farm's nearly two centuries of history. This is the original Arnold Macintosh, right? There with a couple of people, and it looks like they're shooting. Uh, they've got some small shotguns, and they're holding up quail, I think. And they've got a dog there. This must date it. I mean, you've got big... Paul tells me he raised his kids in this shed. A tough life in a drafty old two-room eucalyptus slab building where winters can get down to minus 10. Had some weddings in here and it's had the year 2000 celebrated in here with a big party and uh, a band in here and uh, lots of people from the valley. There's 13 families here and, um, you know, we've had some big parties in here and we've celebrated and we've commiserated and... (laughs) All sorts of stuff in here, and it's a, it's a great place. But Paul's roots in the valley go even deeper. There's some history of my family in here, and I've been on this property for 22 years. My mother's family lived across the road in the valley. They were here for three generations, and there's been a couple of generations of kids here. All up, there's been five generations of, of my family living in this valley. Paul's voice is laced with love for the place. Unsurprising given that he's a man of this soil. His farm took the drought hard and they haven't run any stock for a few years, but now the creeks are overflowing and he hopes to fatten some calves this season and cut some hay, much like his ancestors would have done. Over the road from Paul Keir's place is the Majura Valley Free Range Egg Farm. My name is Fred McGraw Weber. I live and work on Madura Valley Free Range Eggs, which is situated at Madura House. 
one of the oldest working farms in the area. Fred shows me around the farm as he locks the chickens in for the evening. I can just make out their mobile chook sheds through the gloom. Cars flow down the Madura Parkway in the background. Fred lost land when it was built, and that wind you can probably hear is funneled through the valley and down the plain. It's icy, but a stiff walk warms us up. This is a mixed farm, and the chook sheds move around the paddocks, fertilising the soil as they go. Over the last 10 years of doing this mobile system, we've seen our soil qualities increase, and that also means that we don't necessarily have to fertilise the soil or bring on external things like lime and stuff like that to improve the quality of soil. And after the chooks have been across the whole paddock, then we put fat lambs on or plant a crop. They've got 3,000 birds here, and Fred uses modern techniques to be as productive as possible on their limited land without sacrificing animal welfare. He has big plans. My vision for our farm and for the valley is for it to become similar to a Clare Valley or a Barossa Valley, Kangaroo Valley, all these iconic valleys around Australia where they are a agriculture and tourism hub. We believe the Madura Valley can have that same prestige but be 10 minutes away from the capital of Australia, that type of country experience in the heart of the city. Spray your shoes. Spray so, your feet, no worries. Yeah. Um, just because there's a bug called phylloxera that we don't have and we don't want it because it'll kill our vines. Yep, fair enough. Yep. Um, yeah. Thank you. So what are, we, what are we looking at here? What's, what's happening? Okay, so we've got different blocks in the vineyard. This is one that we call rock block um, because it was very rocky when we first developed it. And uh, these vines right here are a Spanish variety called... Grassi. That's Frank Vandaloo. He's the winemaker at the Madura Valley Vineyard, a few k's north of Fred's farm. He's tall, energetic. His background is in biology, and he has a scientist's eye for the place. You know, there are probably a few thousand grapevine varieties in the world. And if you grow a variety that comes from a completely different climate here, it'll probably make indifferent sort of wine. If you find one that actually suits our climate, you can go to the next level in quality and the character and personality in the wine. If you want to distinguish between you know, one part of the vineyard and another part of the vineyard because they have slightly different soil and aspect and things, you need a variety that's very sensitive to where it's grown. And so that's been our journey is basically to find those varieties. Tempranillo was the first and when that was going really well we realised well let's look at other varieties that come from the same area. And do you know, have you had wine growers come from that region and taste your no, stuff? No, not so much. No, yeah. probably there's always a lot more Australian winemakers going to Europe yeah. than there are European winemakers coming to Australia because, you know, <laughs> they've got the history and the heritage yeah. and, and they're just, you know, full of self-belief. You yeah. know, they, they know they've done it already. Yeah. Whereas we know that our best wines are still in front of us. <laughs> he takes me on a tour of his vineyard. Then we sit down out the front of the cellar door to talk. Again, you can hear the Madura Parkway, which was completed in 2016. Like Fred, Frank lost some land when it was put in. We always knew it was on the cards, so it wasn't uh, wasn't a big surprise, and, and it was something we'd always planned for. And we had a, a map of the property that showed the area that they could withdraw land and the area that they couldn't, and so we knew what land was secure and what wasn't. Um, but we went from 49 hectares down to 38, so we lost 11 hectares. It's a big chunk of land, and you get basically bugger all compensation for it. In the ACT, you only get paid for improvements if the government resumes your land. In town, that could mean your house and garden. But in the case of an agricultural property like Frank's or Fred's, that might only be a bit of fencing. 
Frank was lucky in the sense that the road missed his vines. He only lost a bit of land which they weren't using anyway. But it was a close shave, and a stark reminder of the challenges farming next to a growing city can pose. For now though, the vines are safe, and Frank has plans to expand. We at the moment have a plan to put in a new block, so what we're doing is going really well. We've learnt a lot over the 30 years. We don't have visions of conquering the world, but I hope that it will be here a long time after I'm gone, and we've been working at creating something that demonstrated its value, so it's worth continuing to reinvest in and, and go forward with. The Madura Valley Vineyard will be here a long time. Frank's tenure on the land is as secure as it can be in Canberra. But many of his neighbours don't have the same luxury. And despite Frank's efforts, and the efforts of his neighbours, the story of agriculture in the ACT since the city was founded more than a century ago has been one of decline. Reclaiming land for development has fuelled Canberra's growth. And a lot of that land was once agricultural. To get a sense of what this means, I leave the valley and travel northwest to Gungahlin, through open grazing country and into Canberra's suburban heartland. Hi, I'm Paul Carmody. I'm the rural lessee here at Elm Grove in Gungahlin. Canberra is known for its suburban sprawl, and Paul knows better than most that if you want to keep your land in this town, sometimes you have to fight. I meet Paul at Elm Grove, the only remaining agricultural property in the area, and we shelter from the wind in his early 20th century woolshed. From what we understand, the Gillespie family first settled on Elm Grove around 1862, and from that time on, uh, they used the property for wool production and, and the growing of hay. And that is still going on today, largely? Yes, it is. It's still going on. We're here today in the wool shed where we've shorn sheep since as long as I've been on the property, which has been uh, 1985. It's where we shear our sheep every year, and that's continued up till now and will continue into the future. Well, for as long as we have the land that we need to properly run the property. So it must have been a bit of a shock when you were told that there was no heritage value to the property. Uh, pretty well, yes. That was back in 2007. I disagreed with that at the time. I then went down a path of engaging heritage consultants. And then back in 2007, Paul was faced with every farmer's nightmare. The government wanted to take a chunk of his land, about 150 acres, to put in a new residential suburb called Jacker. Paul wouldn't let his best land be subsumed into Canberra's suburban jungle. And a couple of years later, that portion of his property was heritage listed. He thought he was safe. We're now looking at a proposal to develop a second stage of Jacker, immediately to the west of the heritage precinct. And what is being proposed is in complete disregard to the Elm Grove Conservation Management Plan. Paul argues that because of the heritage listing, the views can't be impinged upon by development. And looking at the photos he shows me of the proposed suburb, it's clear that the undulating hillside dotted with yellow box gums I can see just out his woolshed's window would be changed dramatically. But the broader lesson here is about the way land in the ACT is held. It's all leasehold, so neither Paul nor any other landowner, be it rural or otherwise, can actually own their land. Most homeowners in Canberra have 99-year leases, which is considered quite secure. But much of Paul's land is on shorter leases, with withdrawal clauses meaning the government can resume the land at short notice. Paul says this has been bad for farming in the ACT. Without a long-term lease, effectively, whether you've got a five-year lease, 10-year lease or 20-year lease, you've really only got a 30-day lease because in those types of leases, the government can resume all or part of the land at any time with effectively 30 days' notice. As a result, the farmer is not going to do or can't it would be irresponsible to make any significant investment in the property, knowing that it could be taken from them the next day. And that means that 
I guess the land is neglected or badly managed? Correct. It is neglected. Um, Certainly not managed to the extent that most of the farmers want to manage their land. Most farmers want to invest in their property. They need to invest. You've got to invest in the property to keep it up to scratch and to keep it going forward. Now it's very much day-by-day type of operation just to survive because, as I said, you can't go and borrow money. You can't invest in the property because you can't raise the capital unless it's your own savings and, again, coming back to that's reckless. Back in the Majura Valley, I wanted to learn more about the leasing situation. At the top of the valley is the Truffle Farm. It was started by Sherry McArdle English in the early 2000s and remains the only black truffle farm in the ACT. She sold it a few years ago, but still has strong links to the valley and represents the valley's interests to the ACT government. There's a little bit of a story about how I came about to be on a farm, and it certainly wasn't my dream and it wasn't part of my game plan for my life. But in 1998, my husband was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. That was an enormous shock to both of us. He was 55 years old at the time, and not only a workaholic of his own civil engineering business, but also a sportaholic. And he was diagnosed with Parkinson's just two weeks after running his latest city to surf in Sydney. Three days after the diagnosis, he woke up in the morning and said, I'm buying a farm. I've always wanted a farm and I'm having a farm. And I was horrified because at the time, my background was working as a lobbyist and an advocate. We spoke for about an hour back in Paul Keir's woolshed. This place, she tells me, is where the Valley meets for land care meetings. I get the sense that Sherry is a fierce competitor, someone you'd love to have in your corner. There's 13 leaseholders in the Valley. And out of that 13, there's only two that have leases at all currently. The other 11 have no lease and they're living in a situation where their homes, their employment, their primary production is all based on land that they no longer own. They were there quite securely while the lease system was still operational on their piece of land. But since it hasn't been renewed, Each of those leases are now there with a 90-day withdrawal clause over them, which is extremely stressful for those that are living in that environment. Since the leases started lapsing in the valley in the mid-2000s, it's been very difficult for farmers to invest. What bank would loan someone money when there's no security on the land? So they live with that then, and it's constantly holding them at ransom. And the reason why I say that is it immediately affects their financial situation. Because if they're wanting to further develop their business, for example, or their primary production business, they might need to go to the bank for a loan. Well, of course, they can't have a loan because they're restricted because they have no security over their property. Can you speculate as to why it's been so difficult for the last 15 odd years to get these leases renewed? I think it's more factual than speculation. And what's occurring, as it is all over the world, of course, is the urban spread. Urbanisation is growing and multiplying. And so land is becoming more and more valuable. And sadly, one of the thoughts through government is that the Madura Valley become an industrial hub. The thing that shocks and impresses me most about the valley is that Fred's Chook Farm and Paul Keir's restoration work have been undertaken largely without the backing of the bank. At the northern tip of the valley is Sherry's old farm, now called the Truffle Farm, and owned by Jason Messman and his partner. 
His day job is training dogs for the government, but he bought the farm a few years ago and now spends his weekends leading truffle hunts with the public and his seven expertly trained Labradors. There's these two big bowls of them and they just smell wonderful. Yeah. It's like they sort of waft through the room. Yeah, it doesn't take long. I've only just come down from the house, but um, if, if I'd brought these down five minutes earlier, this whole room would be engulfed with the owners. We meet in the restaurant on his property where customers come to enjoy a cooking class and a meal at the end of a truffle hunt. It looks like a revamped farm shed with a kitchen recessed into the back wall like a stage. On the inside, the walls are white plaster with exposed hardwood beams. The timber on the outside and the rust-coloured corrugated tin roof means it just melts into the landscape. That thick smell of truffles fills the room. They're all gone, the season's finished, and I'm lucky enough to have some. So. Oh, yeah, so you, you must be cheering. Yeah, it's good, it's good. I'm cheering in the fact that we survived this season because it was brutal. In know, terms of? Everything, drought, fires, COVID. Just what we were able to achieve through the season is pretty remarkable, really. Yeah. Because it was not looking very pretty. Unlike many of his neighbours, Jason has a 99-year lease. That's basically the closest you can come to outright owning your land in the ACT. Because of that, he and Sherry before him have been able to invest in the property and grow the business. We've increased the tourism aspect uh, probably 400%. So Not insignificant. No, big, <laughs> big amounts. So, And that's why we've become, I think, something that Canberrans are proud of. So when I first set out to do these, I guess, offerings, we started with just 10 people. Now we're at about 40 per event, which is exciting. A little while later, he takes me on a truffle hunt with one of his labs, Dingo. Good boy. Dingo. Good boy. His dogs are expert, and within five minutes, we've found a couple of truffles. We found another one. Excellent. The grove resembles a young wood filled with northern hemisphere trees like elms and oaks and hazelnut. One day, he says, the young trees that are about 15 years old today will resemble a gnarled and wild European forest. So this is what happens at the end of the year, so they're going to spore. Well, that's a big fella. Yeah, that's a big fella. But at the end of the season, so this one will be, it's one that hasn't matured correctly. So it basically looks from here like a big fist-sized lump of mud. <laughs> so right there would be about $400 worth of truffle, which is a nice little find at this time of year. But again, this one's completely useless. Coming out here and seeing the care this place has received makes me think of Fred and his grand plans for the future. I wonder how much more developed they'd be if they could invest, if they weren't living 90 days at a time. Since the leases started lapsing, the farmers here have come together to lobby the government. They created the Majura Valley Land Care Group and have been working on a master plan to drive tourism and investment in the ACT and to celebrate the city's bush heritage. Sherry is leading that charge. The Majura Valley is literally on the doorstep of what is now the International Airport. It's also within 10 kilometres of the Parliamentary Triangle and it's 7 kilometres from the heart of Canberra City. So it's a unique pocket of primary producers and from being primary producers the potential is there for the Majura Valley to also become a very very interesting and innovative tourism hub. A few years ago the lessees came together and hosted the Majura Valley Bush Festival. It was meant to showcase the valley's past, present and potential. 8,000 people came through Paul Keir's gate that day. We had kids races and you know we had lots of displays and lots of old crafts. 
they could watch the horse races, the horse versus motorbike, who's the best stockman, you know. And, uh, <laughs> Who won? Who won? Oh, well, we sort of cheated a little bit. We had to go around a barrier at the end of the race. But of course, the horse can jump over the barrier. So, <laughs> so they could, we set it up that he could never beat us. <laughs> Perfect. It was a really enjoyable day, and it gave an opportunity for the local Canberrans to soak it all in what's right in the, the middle of their beautiful city. It was meant to happen again, but it, it, it didn't. Do it. it could have happened again. Um, one of the things that I said to um, then, we were still negotiating with the government to. Um, be offered new leases or to get some stability and I said that I'd be happy to do this every year. Sherry explained. But the looming problem for the leasees is that we could well have had 20,000 the next year. To run it again on a much larger scale would have been primarily funded by the leasees and they would have been digging deep into their pockets to be able to support the running of a day such as this. And the farmers just couldn't afford once again to do that on land that they don't have a lease on, that they might have been moved off within that 12 month period before the next festival. Up the northern end of the valley, businesses are flourishing because leaseholders can think long term. Further south, the farmers are itching to get going. It makes you wonder what the valley would look like if they did have the security they've asked for for all these years. I met with Anne McGrath of Madura Valley Free Range Eggs. She's Fred's mum. She has no lease at all on the farm she calls home. Yeah, I understand. My grandmother uses the same... She doesn't drink out of a mug. She has the same... I make her a cup of tea, and she promptly pours it from the mug I select into her own special sentimental one. I'm Anne McGrath, and this is Madura House just in the outskirts of Canberra. And Nick Weber, my partner, who's sadly died a couple of months ago, together we came here in May um, 2000. We're sitting in her kitchen. There's a log burner in the middle of the room, warming my cheeks even a few metres away. Above the sink, there's a window looking out over the farm and bright green pastures slick with morning dew glistens in the winter sunshine. I'm struck again by the fact that I'm just 10 minutes away from the centre of Canberra. So we thought, what can we do with a small parcel of land, 120 acres? So we did a lot of research into free-range eggs, and in 2010 we started off with our first big mobile sheds that house uh, 300 chickens. And those sheds came out of their savings, rather than from the bank, because Anne's lease lapsed in 2005. When we came to the farm, everyone's like, oh, yes, the lease is only, you know, five years to go. But we just assumed we'd reapply for the lease and we'd just get a new lease and things would carry on. For 15 years, we've been waiting for a lease. I mean, there's so many things we want to do. And it's not that we don't try and get on with the government. We have a four-lane highway go through the middle of our farm. Our farm is now cut in half. We lost 14 hectares of land. We got nothing for it. And this farm, this land, should be a form of superannuation for the whole of Australia, for the whole of Canberra, because it needs to be preserved and we need to have a, a lease in order to do that. How does it feel, I guess, sort of knowing that you could have as little as 90 days left on your super? It's very frightening. And every day, every day I just work my butt off. And there's no denying that I don't like it. I love it. And when I 
go to bed at night or wake up in the morning and I see that beautiful mountain range that's been there for eternity, millions of years, why can't this farm be left here for eternity? Introduce yourself and give us your title as well, please. Yeah, hi. So, uh, Mick Gentleman, Minister for Planning and Environment and Land Management. Mick Gentleman is a member of Canberra's Legislative Assembly, and he's as Canberran as they come. He spent all his life here and worked in various public service departments over the years before joining politics in the early 2000s. His office was closed to the public on my visit to Canberra. Like everyone else, he's been working from home these last couple of months, but he made a special trip in, and I asked him to reflect on what the bush capital means to him. We spoke before the ACT government went into caretaker mode for the 2020 territory election. I was born in the ACT, so I've watched it grow up from a city of only 20,000 people to now 420,000 people. And all that time, I think I've been involved intrinsically in the bush around the ACT, and now more so in my role as a minister for land management, particularly the environment and heritage as well. So I understand that there are 13 leaseholders in the Midura Valley and only two of them actually have active ongoing leases. They're the 99-year ones. The rest of them, as I understand, they've all, they've all lapsed. And I'm sure you can understand there's a lot of anxiety there where there's these, I think, 90-day get-out clauses. I wonder, can the government ensure farmers have security, which would also allow them to further develop their properties? Well, it's um, some work that we need to do in the planning sense because, as I mentioned, some of this land is Commonwealth land and not uh, our responsibility. However, we're trying to take over that responsibility so that we can manage it with the farmers. Uh, we have no intention of moving the farmers on, but there is that technical aspect of a 99-year lease and whether you consider that your temporary lease is any different than a 99-year lease, the same provisions would apply in that if something had occurred, we could remove the lease from uh, where, whether they're a 99-year leasehold or a temporary leasehold. So, but it, it means so a lot. Actually, it's yes. a lot different to to the bank, though, whether you've got 99 years or however else long. Oh, it certainly is, and this is the position that those uh, leaseholders have put to us, and that's why we're working with them in the Eastern Broadacre Plan to see what we can do for them in that sense of reality and the way they have to work with the banks and the finance companies. Despite the lack of movement on the 99-year leases, Minister Gentleman told me the government has no intention of moving the farmers on. We do want to see permanency for them, so we're not opposed to 99-year leases for those leaseholders. We just need to work through the process to get it organised, if you like. The farmers I've talked to clearly love this place, and the hard work they and their families have put in over the years is obvious. But I wonder how long they can sustain that energy. It's been a tough journey to this point, and Paul Keir's story puts it in perspective. You know, I have to be honest, I got to the stage where um, I just threw my hands in the air and um, a guy that come to the festival six months later offered to buy the farm off me. I told him it wasn't for sale, that, you know, I had plans, but when nothing happened for two years, I decided that I would just move on move myself away from a valley that my family's been for five generations and um, I got a contract with the man and you had to get ministerial approval to sell the land. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to sell the land to him because the minister wouldn't approve it. Now, I've got a parcel of land that I can't really invest in because I don't have a lease in. I can't sell it and move on. So I'm in no man's land, to be quite honest. You know what, I'm Canberran. I want what's good for Canberra. 
But if there is no immediate plans for this valley for the next 20 or 25 years, well, give us a crack at it. Let me invest some more money into this property, invite the Canberrans, international visitors and tourists here to share it. For me, that would be the most fantastic thing, I think. Farming is in the bush capital's DNA, and the people I met in the Madura Valley are a key part of that. These aren't sad people, by any stretch. These are people who get to spend every day of their lives doing what they love. Many of them might have lost land when the highway was put in, but now the drive into Canberra and beyond takes you right through their backyard. For them, that's an opportunity to show the world the land they call home, and to build on the work that's been going on for generations. But without the sort of security you can take to the bank, they're in a kind of limbo, waiting for an answer while trying to get on with their lives. And the question still remains. Despite the passion and the dedication of farmers here, will nearly two centuries of farming history in the valley end with them? That's it for this episode of Voice of Real Australia. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen, and I'll be back in a couple of weeks. We're a new podcast, so please share it with friends or give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to share your story, email us at voice at ostcommunitymedia.com.au. That's voice at ost, A-U-S-T, communitymedia.com.au. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash Voice of Real Australia. Voice of Real Australia is recorded in the studios of the Newcastle Herald. It's produced by Lara Corrigan and me, your host, Tom Melville. Our editors are Chad Watson and Gail Tomlinson. Special thanks this week to John Paul Maloney and Megan Doherty from the Canberra Times and Kate Matthews. This is an ACM podcast. <laughs>